Good morning to you. Hey, if you got your Bibles, which I hope you do, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll put the verses up on the screen as always. But as always, I want to encourage you to have your own copy of the Word of God in your hands. And I personally strongly recommend that it not be a digital copy, that it be a physical copy so you can mark it up and make notes and draw arrows and do all the stuff that will help you be able to take this home as kind of a walking commentary for your own personal life. Um, and you can hearken back to these things uh, that the Word of God has taught us when you are in the times of need where you need to hear and reconnect to those promises, those truths, those precepts of God's Word. And um, some of your Bibles probably naturally fall open to First Peter now because we've been here for like three months and First Peter's on like two pages. Um, but we've had a really rich conversation about uh, chapter one. We looked at what it looks like to heal through the hard stuff of life. Um, and, and yeah, believe it or not, like the Word of God and the people of God, we, we are given a, a gift from God. We are invited into His life through the life of Jesus. And, and believe it or not, like you don't have to wait until your hardship is over to start healing. You can actually heal through the hard stuff. While you're on the way through the woods and through the muck of life, you can be on the path to healing already when you're walking with Jesus. He has a way for that. Uh, we talked about that back in chapter one. If you missed that or any of our other discussions, you can always find it on our website, www.gbc.life or on our YouTube channel. Um, and you can access that through our website as well. But um, we're now in chapter five toward the end of chapter five. And just to remind you the backdrop of what's going on now, now we've kind of transitioned to the sermon series number two in the same book from chapter two on, we've looked at what it looks like to endure through the hard stuff. Um, because let's be honest, like once you heal through something, once you jump over a hurdle, once you make it past an obstacle in life, hey, there's going to be another one waiting on you. Just in case somebody hadn't told you yet, let me remind you, let me love you enough to say like, hey, in this thing called life, suffering is inevitable, but misery is optional. Yeah, suffering's inevitable. That's why we call it life. That's why this isn't called heaven. It was by God's perfect design that you create a space for us to exist for a season as humans to come to the full recollection and understanding like, wow, this place just doesn't scratch the itch. There's something in me that longs for something greater. I need more peace. I need more satisfaction, I need more help, I need more comfort, I need more healing. This world, it just, it just doesn't offer those things. I tried changing my jobs. I tried changing relationships. I tried getting a bigger boat. And I'm still just as miserable as I was before. It's the loving kindness of God to let us come up short and recognize through our discouragement, through our defeat, through our shortcomings, through coming to the end of our rope, that we were created for another place that we serve a higher king that sits upon a higher throne that can only satisfy in a way that this world cannot do. But honestly, it's a journey for us to get to the place of really believing that. And it's the loving kindness of God to patiently wait as he leads us, as his loving kindness produces repentance in us throughout our life. And he leads us along this journey of the transforming work of Jesus in our life. I hope that if you haven't come to the recollection or the, real, the realization that Jesus is in fact Lord and King, um, I hope that, that you will soon. I hope that you will confess him as the Lord of your life. Give over all 
the stuff of your life to him and allow him to be not only your savior, but your Lord, your, your master, your leader, your loving father, your faithful guide, because he's really good at doing his job a whole lot better than you are, just in case you hadn't noticed yet. But you can keep trying your way if you want to. I assure you, you're going to come all back full circle. But yeah, suffering, um, it's inevitable, but misery is optional. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Peter, as he's wrapping up this letter that he's writing to first century Christians who, are, who have endured just unspeakable horrors, uh, remarkable persecution. I mean, probably some of the greatest persecution in the history of the Christian church happened right at the beginning. Um, from under the, under the oppression of Emperor Nero and the burning of the city and the killing of people, Christians in particular, by the hundreds within the first three centuries, millions of Christians had lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. And these people were watching their loved ones be murdered for the sake of the gospel. They were watching their homes being burned to the ground, but yet they continued to walk faithfully to the word of God, faithfully with one another, and trusting in his ways, even though their circumstances were just horrific at best. And so I would venture to say that though our situations may be a little bit different this day and age, that, for, that Peter's letter to them still rings true to the person, to the people, the many of us who are going through the hard stuff of life, the suffering that comes along with being a part of the family of God. Misery is optional, my friends. And these words that he gives us at the end of 1 Peter, I call this um, lasting words to the enduring saints is the name of this conversation. In other words, here's some words I'm going to leave you with because you're going to need to hearken back to these time and time and time again throughout your journey of life. First Peter chapter 5, let's jump in halfway through verse 5. Pastor Cameron and I spoke last week about biblical eldership and our response as a church family to biblical elders. Um, but let's jump in halfway through verse 5 with, with these words. Clothe yourself. In other words, put on. Tie around your waist. Clothe yourselves, all of you, elders, church members, small group leaders, black folk, white folk, Hispanic folk, Indian folk, males, females, rich, poor, employed, unemployed. Humble yourselves. Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Are y'all paying attention? Did you hear what the Word of God just said? I think I just found the key to the greatest problems in the U.S. of A. Clothe yourselves, all of you. No matter what walk of life, no matter how plus your bank account, no matter how desperate your situation, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Boy, would that not change the world. If that's not enough, if that's not enough motivation for you, keep reading. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud. Hello. Uh, by the way, he's talking to Christian people here, so don't do your theological acrobatics and make it sound like, well, if you are not in Christ, God's not going to oppose you. He's talking to Christian people here. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. People that don't look like you, that don't act like you, that don't talk like you, that aren't in your little circle of friends, that don't live in your neighborhood, clothe yourselves one another. That aren't a part of the same political party, clothe yourselves one another. Every one of you with humility towards one another. 
Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Yes, he does. Hallelujah. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. By the way, you got an enemy out there, and it's not the person that you can't stand at work. There's always an enemy behind the enemy, and that's the adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him by standing firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. You're not alone. And after, oh man, somebody needs to underline this, put a box around it, highlight this. This is why you need to bring your Bible to church. And after you have suffered a little while, (laughs) the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, how does this sound, restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. Hello. Amen. Hallelujah. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Man, this is, I love, I love the truths and the nuggets that we get in Peter's, essentially his closing words to the Christians in the first century who are experiencing this deep suffering. And so I leave you with these words at the end of this sermon series that I hope you too would cling to these truths. And I'll be honest with you, like when I look at passages of scripture like this, my eyes and my heart are naturally drawn to the, drawn to the things that I like because I get excited about hearing what God's going to do for me. You know, it sounds good to me that I can cast my cares on him because he cares for me. Sounds good to me that I can resist the enemy, the devil, by standing firm in my faith. Boy, it really sounds good to me that God himself, who called me into this relationship with him to begin with, is going to restore me, confirm me, strengthen me, and establish me. Boy, that sounds good to me. Can I get amen? Somebody needed to hear that this morning. Somebody needed one of those nuggets this morning. But all of us need to notice... A big mistake that we often make in passages like this is we like to leapfrog over verse 5 and 6 because we like what verse 7, 8, 9, and 10, and 11 have to say to us. Did you know what verse 5 and 6 had to say? Um, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God from the proper time He will lift you up. Those are harder words to swallow because quite honestly, our natural lean is, God, how are you going to step into my story? How are you going to step into my life and in this circumstance and fix my stuff? We really don't want to do the personal inventory to figure out what's been going on in my thinking and my being and my doing that got me in this stuff to begin with or is keeping me in this stuff longer than God meant for me to be in this stuff. We don't like doing that inventory. We don't like humbling ourselves before the Lord. We want hope without the humility. We want salvation without the surrender. We want to hand up without having to hand over our pride. We want the resurrection of Jesus in our life without the resignation of our pride and our bitterness and our anger and our hatred and our unforgiveness. We want Jesus to be the hero of the day and enjoy the life of Christ and everything that it offers, but we don't want to take up our cross and follow him. We want him to do what God does best. We want him to step up and stand with us and for us, but we don't care to do the inventory in our own hearts to see if we're actually even standing with him. You hear what I'm saying? Y'all sleep? And so Peter reminds these people 
as he reminds us this morning, he, he reminds us where God is standing so that we can make sure that we are standing with him while we are going through the hardships and the hard stuff of life. Where's God standing? Well, he tells us right here to humble ourselves, clothe ourselves in humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. In other words, God stands on the opposite side of human pride. Want me to say that again? God stands on the opposite side of human pride. In other words, we've got this box over here of the life that we live in where we're the king of our own circle and we come into the hardships of life. Our first, our first prompting is like, hey, I can, I can do this. I've been through this. I'm going to will myself through this. I'm strong. My mama raised me that way. Like, I can handle this. I've got the resources, and if I run out of resources, I know a guy that can help me fix it, and I'm going to go talk to the preacher, but he's going to pray about it. But I've got this. I can do this. I can make this. God is on the opposite side of human pride. You over there wallowing all your self-pedestal that you've climbed up on. I can do this. I got enough. I can handle this. I'll find a way. I've done it before. I'm intelligent enough. I took a class on this. I've got a book that can help with that. He's on the opposite side of that, standing over here saying, I'll wait. Oh, man, and is God patient. He's a gentleman unlike any other. And I've come to learn that God's patience is quite painful for me. Because I'm over here busy trying to be the solution to my own problems, the king of my own world. And oh, I'm praying because I know the Lord and I'm a preacher. And that's what we're supposed to do. So I'm over here being the king of my own circle, coming up with my own solutions while God is opposing my pride. And I'm saying, God, where you at, bro? Get over here. Can't you see I'm struggling? I mean, your word says, you, you see what I'm going through. Why is it that you haven't made the journey all the way over here to help me in my stuff? Have you rejected me? Have you forgotten about me? Can I really trust you? God opposes the proud. He'll wait. You go ahead. You keep on doing your thing now. He'll wait because he loves you enough in his loving kindness to let you come to the end of your rope, to run out of options, to run out of cash, for the guy you thought was going to step in and fix your story to not be able to fix it. Since you finally get to a place where, man, you don't know what else to do. You've tried everything else. Your faith is wrecked because you thought he was supposed to meet you in your kingdom. And here you are at the precipice of his kingdom. And he's inviting you to humble yourself before him. So that he can do the things that he has promised to do in this passage. He opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. God stands outside. God stands opposite, on the opposite side of human pride. Um, that's not the only place God stands. You want to figure out where he's at in your story and your situation. He's on the opposite side of your pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency. But it also says right here, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. The proper time. Whose time? Hmm? You believe that? You just saying that. Not only does he stand the opposite side of human pride, but he stands outside of human time. Remember, he created it. 
Hey, how many of you have done like I do, like, and I try to help God hurry up? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, all right, God, you and I both know this is what needs to happen, and I can see your hand moving in that direction, so let me just kind of help you out, move this thing along. Maybe you bought a thing that you wanted or needed, but you did it before you were ready, before he had given you the resource, and now you got the bat breaking debt of that thing, and now you're blaming God for not fixing your debt, but you jumped into that thing all on your own anyways without his blessing. Hmm? You hearing me? Maybe you jumped into one relationship to another, and you hadn't healed from one. You hadn't made your relationship with him right. You hadn't been restored you hadn't been healed up in him. You hadn't got your relationship with him right now. You jumped into another relationship. It's just as much of a train wreck as your last relationship because you wanted to help God. Hurry up. Maybe you're a young person. You're ready to jump in them sheets before you jump into marriage. Maybe you're an old person. You want to jump in them sheets and don't want to jump into marriage. Am I talking to myself? Y'all got awful quiet. Y'all were chuckling on the other ones, and now you're all offended. Get over yourself, all right? He stands on the opposite side of human pride. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he will lift it up. Maybe you jumped into marriage. Maybe you tried to run out ahead of God. Now you're trying to figure out how to fix the chaos that is created in your life. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, at the proper time, he will lift you. Listen, doing things God's way and, and allowing God's timing to take place in our lives, it, it is a painful process. Because remember, like, this is, this is where we, where we want to be, and we want him to get on board with what we're doing. But it's the loving kindness of God to make us go along this road. Some of it's humiliating, all of it is humbling, and all of it is getting to us to a place where we are literally on our knees before the face of the Father and say, I just don't know what else to do. You're the only hope. And he says, I know, that's what I've been trying to tell you. But like his ways are perfect and they're timeless and true. And his timing is perfect as well. And I know that's a hard one to swallow because, man, we like to help the hand of God. Hurry up. But his timing is perfect. And let me tell you, he's in on time, God. Yes, he is. Oh, and on time, God. Yes, he is. Job said, how many of y'all feel like Job this morning? Job said, he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Because he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Somebody needs another example this morning. So you can ask the children of Israel, trapped at the Red Sea. Y'all remember that story? By that mean old Pharaoh and his army. There was water all around them. Some of y'all feel surrounded right now. And Pharaoh at their back. But out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. God stepped in and made a highway just like that. So let me tell you, he's in on time, God. Yes, he is. Whoa, and on time, God. Yes, he is. Job said he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Because he's an on time, God. Yes, he is. 
Uh, I hear you clapping, but are you believing? Is that your hands expressing the thoughts of your heart? Do you believe that? Do you believe that his timing is perfect, his ways are true and trustworthy? Somebody that's in the middle of trying to rush the hand of God in their life right now, are you willing to stop and wait and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and allow God's perfect timing to come into play in your life so that you don't shipwreck what God is trying to do in your story because you're running out in front of him? Come back. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he will lift you up. At the proper time. He knows you so well. He knows your story so well. And he has a perfect timing for you on this journey, for that need that you want met, for that relationship that you long for, for that new job that you want to step into. He's got a perfect time for all of that. Who's the king of your story? Is it, are you still here? Are you here? Are you making that journey? Are you starting to pray prayers like, okay, God, I know you're in control, so I need you to help me fill in the blank. In other words, Lord, you are powerful and you make a daggum good secretary. So if you would come and be my assistant, you can help me do this thing I need to do. You're probably standing right here. You ain't made it yet. If you're saying, God, come help me do my fill in the blank. Are you making this journey over here where you're coming to the end of your robe? You're saying, Lord, I'm I'm just going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God because you are king and I am not and your time is perfect and I desperately need you. I need you. And I know that you have all my needs figured out ahead of time. And so I'm not even going to ask you for a thing because I don't need what you have to give. I need you. And I know that you will supply all my needs. I know that you will bring healing in my life. I know that you will restore the brokenness in my world, but it's, I need you. I'm seeking your heart, not your hand. And I'm going to humble myself under your mighty hand, knowing that's the safest place for me to be. It's important because I, I know that many of us have traveled the journey, and many of us are on the journey of suffering through the hardships of life, the waiting, the advent, or trying to find a way through a thing in our own will and our own ways, and we've got a burden. And so we've been, some of y'all know, you know well enough, like, well, let's bring it before the Lord. Cast our burdens upon the Lord. Your anxieties, your worries, your cares, cast them on him, verse 7, because he cares for you. Man, that's some good news, ain't it? Cast those burdens, but I bet, I bet somebody's asking right now, but Dustin, I've tried that. Man, I, I cast my burdens on the Lord, and they came hurling back at me like a boomerang. Dustin, I drove to the prayer service, I drove all those miles, and I showed up, and I went down to the altar, and I laid my burdens at Jesus' feet, and by the time I got back into my car, they were sitting in the passenger seat and picked up a few friends along the way, too. You wonder, why in the world, if I keep casting them on the Lord, why in the world they keep coming back to me? What's up with that? Let me tell you this. This is what the Word of God tells right here, okay? Don't ignore the comma. What? Yeah, look at the person next to you and say, Don't ignore the comma. Notice in the middle of verse 6 and verse 7, there's not a period. This, this, by the way, is a very closely accurate translation of our most original text that we have uh, here in human history. So it's pretty close. A lot of punctuation is pretty close. And notice how between verse 6 and verse 7, there's not a period with a 7 and a capital C as if say, okay, here's command number one, humble yourself, and then period, here's an invitation as if you could operate 
independently within those two without having to marry the two together. There's not a period. There's a comma. Don't ignore the comma. Peter's telling us that these, these two things hold hands. These two things exist together. Humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God as we are casting our burdens on the Lord. Some of us are casting our burdens, but we still over here. We want relief without repentance. We want help without humbling. God says, I'll wait. I'll wait. You'll eventually get to this point. You will. I'll wait. He loves us enough. It's his loving kindness that produces repentance in us. And so often the loving kindness of God is displayed through his patience as he just waits and watches, inviting us to come to him. Don't ignore the comma. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God as you cast your burdens upon the Lord because he cares for you. He, really, he is a safe place. It, it is a safe and worthwhile place for a loving, caring, all-powerful God for you to humble yourself under his mighty hand. As you are casting those burdens before the Lord over and over and over again. And here's, here, here's part of the beauty of it. I, I can promise you, if you are at this place, humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, casting your burdens before the Lord, I can promise you one of two results. If you're in that box, not if you're over here, right there, or down there, if you're in here, I can promise you one of two results. For some of you, this moment, this posture, this place of humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God as you cast your burdens before the Lord, for some of you, God will change your circumstances. And for all the rest of you, God will change your mind about your circumstances. One of those two things is a guarantee. And either one of those things is a whole lot better than the situation you're in right now. Either one. I know you want the burden to disappear, and I know that's what we've been praying for, but I bet you when some of us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we might actually come to a place in our relationship with him like the Apostle Paul did as he called out to the Philippians back in Philippians chapter 1. He said, hey, pray for me. I just realized that my affliction is actually serving for the glory of God, so hey, pray that I get more of it. He might change your circumstances, but he might change your mind about your circumstances, and you might see the fingerprints of God all over your hardship, and you might say, God, hey, I didn't notice that before, but hey, use this for your glory. It's changing my family. Man, it's changing my relationship with my spouse. Man, it's changing the way I am at the workplace. God, I welcome it now because I see you are all in this. One of those two things is going to happen. It's the safest place for us to be. God wants to do a restorative work in your life in this place and in this posture. And I can assure you that you don't want to be anywhere else along this timeline of our pride and self-sufficiency because this passage goes on to tell us in verse 8 that, oh yeah, by the way, um, as you are working on doing this, as you are humming yourself before the Lord, um, be sober-minded, so gird up the loins of your mind, be watchful, be alert, stay awake, uh, because you do have an adversary, his name's the devil, and he's roaming around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Um, let me just cl clarify something real quick. This passage says that the devil roams around like a roaring lion, 
seeking someone to devour. Let, let me just make very clear to you. This passage does not say that the devil is a roaring lion. If he ever was a lion, he got defanged about 2,000 years ago, and he's gumming at stuff now, okay? But one thing he's got left is his vocal cords. So what does he do? He roars. He's not a lion. He's a liar. That's all he's got left. And he's roaming around seeking whom he may devour as a liar. That's, he's telling lies. Uh, when does the devil lie? Every time he opens his mouth. Um, who does the devil lie to? Who's the most susceptible to believing the devil's lies? Anyone who is not humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God. It's hard to hear the lies of the devil when he's roaring at you, when you are standing under the roar of the Lion of Judah. You can't hear the lies because you're humbled under the mighty hand of God. But you know who's susceptible? Anybody else on this timeline. The person who is praying in their life for some financial relief from God, but yet they keep breaking off more debt than they can handle. That person's susceptible. They're going to believe the lies of the roaring lion. Uh, the person who lays in their bed at night and is saying their bedtime prayers to the Lord and whose mind and heart has just been so much in chaos at work, at home, every time they flip on the news. And, they, and so they get before the Lord and they say, God, I just need your peace. I need your peace in my heart and my mind. And then they flip open the window to all the chaos in the world around them. That person's going to believe the roars of the lion. They're susceptible. They're not there. They're somewhere along here. It's the married couple that has been struggling for a while, and they keep begging God to step into their story and to fix and to heal their marriage, but they're more committed to being right than they are committed to being reconciled. They're going to believe the lies of the roaring lion. It's a single person who's been praying and asking God to bring a godly spouse into their life. And they've been trusting God. They've been humbling themselves before God, but, but yet they keep stepping back out of that box and coming over here where they start sleeping around, where they start serial dating, where they start looking for love in all the wrong places because they're trying to hurry up the hand of God. That person's going to believe the lies of the roaring lion. Catching the drift. There's only a million and one examples. That's all he's got left, people. He's been defanged. He's a powerless foe. The only thing he has left is his lies. And those that are not humbled under the mighty hand of God are extremely susceptible to hearing those lies. As a matter of fact, there is one lie in, uh, well, so he tells us, before I get to that, he tells us right here, he says, so resist the devil. Uh, matter of fact, the book of James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Peter actually tells us how to resist the devil. He says, resist the devil standing firm in your faith. Uh, how many of you would prefer the devil flee from you than target you? Well, here's how it happens, all right? This is how the devil flees. This is how you resist, standing firm in your faith on the words and work of Jesus and humbling yourself before one another, humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. The devil's going to flee because he knows you ain't listening no more. He knows that the roar of the Lion of Judah is louder than his roar, and he might as well not even waste his time. You want him to flee from you? Stand firm in your faith. 
Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself before one another. And oh yeah, um, for those of you that are even doing that, man, even though you're there, even though you're like right here, man, you're, you're almost there, you're working on that, you're, you're confessing those things to the Lord, you're laying down your pride and your self-sufficiency and your arrogance and your bitterness and your unforgiveness, and you've like, you're offloading that and you're trying to get under the mighty hand of God. Like there, there is this one lie that the devil tells us um, that even people who humble themselves pretty well tend to believe from time to time. I'm, I'm going to let y'all into the devil's playbook. All right, this is the one that he brings through the back door. This is like his most vicious curveball that he throws, even to saints who are really striving to be humbled before the Lord. And, and this is it right here. The apostle Peter tells us to know, as we are resisting the devil, standing firm in our faith, you need to know that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Um, which reminds me that one of the devil's last fell swoops even for you humbled people to try to get your attention, to get you traveling back down this timeline to a place that you've already been, is by trying to convince you that you're alone. That nobody could possibly understand what I'm going through right now because my situation is so unique to anybody else's that I know that I'm just, I'm kind of alone in this. I don't know who to talk to. I've tried. People just don't get it. I feel isolated. You may live alone and you're physically isolated. You may be new to town and you're not even sure like where to find godly friends and like, man, the devil is whispering his age old lie. His most famous one is that you're alone. Nobody gets it. God's abandoned you, that's why he's been quiet on the matter, no, no, no. No, you're not alone. As a matter of fact, in a very physical sense, if there's not somebody in this room, by the way, or listening online that is experiencing or has experienced the same type of devastation, the same type of hurt, the same type of guilt, the same type of sin, the same type of struggle that you have, if it's not somebody in this church family, which likely there is, there is definitely brothers and sisters all around the globe that right now are experiencing the exact same thing that you're experiencing. If, that, if that's not enough motivation for you, I want you to be reminded that our Savior Jesus, he's not a high priest, as Hebrews says, that can't empathize with us, but he felt all the pain and all the hurt and all the devastation when he was here on earth. He felt the sting of deceit. He felt the sting of betrayal. He lost people he loved to death, and yet he was without sin. And that faithful guide, Jesus, if you are in Christ, if you've surrendered your life to him, is not just surrounding you under his mighty hand, but he is in you through his spirit. He promised that. that. He would send the spirit of God to live within you. So you're surrounded on the outside and you're filled up on the inside. You are not alone. You are not alone. And I love this. As these lasting words to the enduring saints. My friends, after a little while, after you've suffered a little while, how long is a little while? Um, let me ask it this way. Um, whose time is it again? You answered that so boldly before. Yeah. So who, knowing you best, is going to determine how long a little while is? Yeah, I can tell you, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, even if you suffered the same fate for 90, 100 years of life on this earth, that's still a little while. And it'll be so worth it. Scripture tells us that that 
temporary light struggle that we are facing on this earth is achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. Man, it'll be so worth it one day when you look back over your shoulder and say, to God be the glory for the great things that he has done. My friends, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen, and establish you. Um, Yeah, and by the way, he's not going to restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you back over here. Remember, the foundations there are all broke. That's, That's a castle made of sand. He's going to restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you right here, right here, as you continue to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is the safest place for you to be as you're going through the sufferings of this thing called life. Suffering is inevitable, but misery is optional. Why don't we do a little bit of business with the Lord before we leave this morning? Matter of fact, I'm going to ask Jason to come back up here and just lead us in a couple of choruses of the song we sang a little bit earlier of come to the altar. You can stand, you can sit, you can come down to the altar, but I would bet you I'm not the only one that came in here this morning that needed to lay down some pride and some arrogance and some bitterness in order I can pick up the grace of God in my life, that I could pick up his tender mercies being displayed to me in my life. You might need to cast your burdens before the Lord, but humble yourself before him first. This is a great opportunity. You can do it sitting down, standing up, or down here at the altar. We've had people at this altar all morning, single folk, married folk, all kind of folk, with different seasons of life, coming down to do business with the Lord. But you do it as the Lord leads you to do it, as Jason leads us in a little bit of singing together. I'll pop up here in a few minutes and pray over all of us. Let me pray for you now. Lord, we need you. We need you more than we even realize because of our lack of humility, our bend towards self-sufficiency. God, I pray that you would glorify yourself in the very people that are in this room right now. That every single one of these folks, myself included, would humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and trust in your perfect way and in your perfect timing, even though it's uncomfortable and we don't like it. It's painful. And we're clinging to hope with everything that we got. God, I know that you can give that hope and that peace and that restoration that we long for. When we find our rest and our comfort in you, our mighty and strong tower, as these folks do business with you this morning, God, I pray that you would meet their needs, that you would cause them to feel the feelings of affirmation from their Father, that they would know that you are near. In Jesus' name we pray. Oh, come to the altar. The-
Continue to do so. Uh, I just want to pray over you as our church family. Um, and I want to uh, ask you, don't, don't listen to me pray. You pray. You speak to God. As I speak to God on our behalf, you do as well. Lord, you are a good father, and there is none like you. I'd be lying to say that I like your ways and your time, because I don't. I've got what I feel like are better options. But God, I confess that to you, and I know that that is a prideful place in me. I do not mind trying to help you hurry up. I do not mind getting out in front of you. God, I confess that right now because I know that is not the spirit of Jesus in me. Lord, I know that the spirit of Christ in us is at perfect peace. In a place of perfect wisdom, as perfectly calm and still as he was on the raging sea that day, sleeping in the hull of the boat. Like, that Jesus is in us. So God, I pray that we would learn to yield ourselves to the words and work of Christ in our life, God, and that we would humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Lord, I pray that you would clearly display your glory through the many people that are part of our church family as we become a people who live humbly submitted to our King. We thank you for your kindness. We 
thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your patience. And you are worthy of our worship, even while we are in the waiting. In Jesus' name we pray. All these things and all God's people said, amen. Y'all